Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Glad that you've come today to join us for our, our morning service, and I want to reiterate the announcements that were made this morning. We have, uh, this time of year, many, many opportunities to invite your friends and family to come and join us. Come tonight. I know you'll enjoy our speaker from Chosen People Ministries, and I trust that you'll be able to join us. She's going to share on the land of Israel, one land, many cultures. Uh, she lives in, in the Negev area of Israel, and uh, she's here traveling in the Northwest, and so I encourage you to come tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to continue our study this morning of uh, Colossians, and Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that uh, we will hear your words, and uh, hearts will be open to your word. We pray for our children, those in the early childhood classes as well, that are learning your word this morning, and we pray that as we leave this place, we will uh, walk with you. We love you more. Uh, we just appreciate so much how much you've, uh, what you've done for us how close you are to us, and we thank you for your presence with us here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Epistle to the Colossians, and this morning we're going to be talking about um, some imperatives. You know what an imperative is? It's a form of speech when I say, do this. You know, when when John and uh, Faith led this morning, they, they, they asked you to stand, right? They didn't command you to stand. They suggested you stand and sing with us. You would probably wouldn't like it if John got up and said, okay, everybody stand up now. Get up. Get up. Stand up, right? But that's an imperative. Do this. It's a strong command. Do this. And the passage we're going to look at this morning in Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our study from Colossians. And if you're really astute, you might notice we are skipping verses 1 to 4. The reason we're doing that is that's going to be our... That's going to be our text, our content for Easter Sunday, because it fits perfect with Easter, and that's why. So we're going to verse 5 today, and we're, oh, you're going to do this for me. Okay, there's three, there's three imperatives, three imperatives this morning. The first one is, we're going to see in verses 5 to 7, put to death. It's a command. It's an imperative. Paul tells the people at Colossae, you need to do this. The second one is, he says, Get rid of. He says, get rid of these things. Take them off. Get rid of them. It's an imperative. The third thing that he says is, we're going to look at next week, is put on. Put these things on. This is a, this is a two-part um, sermon, really. And uh, you really need to come back next week because, just because I'd like you to be here. It's nice to have you all here with us. And, um, and uh, But also... This part is not going to go so well without the second part. So if you're here on spring break this week, I'll give you permission to take another week off school and come back next Okay? All right. But we do have a podcast. It's on our church website, uh, brian-shoreline.org, and you you can look at it there because we're going to do the third one next Sunday. But it's, of course, it's very important. So let's look at chapter 3 and look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore. Put to death. Cliff, let's go ahead and put the next one up. It's, it's an imperative. Put to death. He says, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. Now, some of the translations, I believe, use the word members, like members of your body. And, and that is the idea. The idea here is that 
the parts about you that you need to put to death have to do with our physical body, have to do with our mind, which is part of our body, our heart, our will, uh, our passions we're going to see and so forth. And the Apostle Paul says you need to put these things to death. And this does going to raise an issue as we talk about this because there is sort of a paradox here. We're going to have to keep in mind throughout this passage of Scripture. And that is, as we saw in chapter 2 in verse 20, since you died with Christ, since you've already died with Christ. And we're going to see throughout Paul's writings um, things like this, like in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Romans chapters 5 and 6. And so the, the paradox is, if you will, on one hand, we are already told we are dead to the world. We have died to sin. Uh, really, the book of Romans really is, really tackles this. And that's if you want to just spend some time and read about this, that middle part of Romans really deals with this whole issue, even to the point where Paul has that passage, those things I don't want to do, I do, and so forth and so on. Okay, So this is, a, this is a paradox. I am dead to sin. Paul says very clearly, Jim, you've died to sin. And then he turns around and says, but put to death these things. Uh, which is true. Yes, they are both true. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But these, this is true. And so as a Christian, as one who has died to sin, and as these people at the church at Colossae, these were real live people like you at a church in Colossae that Paul writes to, and he tells them a series of things they need to put to death and a series of things they need to put off in preparing to tell them what they are to put on instead. These are imperatives. Um, throughout my life, I've heard many times the phrase, just let go and let God go. I understand that. I understand what's being said, that the Holy Spirit empowers me and enables me to do these things. But I also read plenty. I mean, Paul's, Paul's letters are full of imperatives. Do this. Don't do this. So we must find that balance in our life where we understand that it is through Jesus Christ that we are saved, through, through faith in Christ, His grace alone. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live lives pleasing to God. It is God who both wills and does His good pleasure in us. And yet Paul tells over and over again, this is what we are to do. We have to find the balance between both of those. So here we go. Here's the things that, that Paul says, you need to put to death... These things that belong to your earthly nature. First of all, it's a pretty encompassing one. The first one is sexual immorality. And this, this particular word could be broken down into what its precise meaning is. But its precise meaning in the Greek is exactly what it says in the English. It's sort of a big cover term. And it has to do with any sexual immorality and probably particularly any, any sexual relationships that are immoral. And Paul says, put these things to death. Put these things to death. The second one is really kind of connected with it because in, in the Jewish context, especially, and many of these believers at Colossae most likely are, are Jewish believers in Christ, in their context, this clearly would be seen with their history of impurity uh, when the children of Israel went after, uh, and God said, you are not to marry those people because if you do, 
if you marry them, in fact, you're king. When, he, when you have a king, he says in Deuteronomy, he is not to collect many wives. He's not to collect silver and gold. He's not to collect horses to go back to Egypt. And the reason for the collecting wives is they, they will draw your heart away to worship their gods. And who in Israel's history is the epitome of exactly that case? Solomon. Solomon, who started out so humble and so known for his wisdom and his godliness, and yet he chose to have all these relationships with all these women, and his, and his heart went after their gods. It was impurity, and is connected with this thought of sexual immorality. Paul says, put to death these things. Put these things to death in your life. The next one, lust. Again, sort of a, a blanket term. It clearly, just as in our language and in our talking, it clearly is connected to the two above it. Now, it's a broader term. Um, lust can, can take form, all sorts of forms in our lives. It can be power. It can be money. It, it could be you know, control. It can be sex. It can be any, any number of things. Any number of things in our lives that we lust after. The, the idea of covetousness clearly is connected with this. The, you have something I want, and I, I want to have it, no matter what. I lust after it. And it is connected with the two above. It's a little bit broader term. The next one is evil desires. Evil desires. Again, you have a hard time disconnecting it from the four above it, but it begins to broaden out a little bit because evil desires, again, can take all sorts of forms in our lives for desiring what is wrong, desiring what is evil. And the last one, which is really quite interesting, you'll notice he says, and finally in this particular list he says, and greed, and he makes the note, which is idolatry. Which is idolatry. Now there is a question. Does the which is idolatry go with all of them? Or particularly with this last one? I, I happen to believe, and, and you'll find commentators going both ways on this, but, but the way it is stated and the way it kind of falls together, I, I think he particularly is connecting it to the last one. And that is because greed affects everything else. Greed affects everything else. We think of Satan and the sin of Satan and the, and the pride of Satan that, that, that I will, you know, I will have this. I will do this. Um, has God really said this idea of, of greed, of greed, which is idolatry. And it turns out for in Israel's case that idolatry was the, was the sin that led to their downfall completely. It was idolatry. You notice when the New Testament opens, when the Old Testament closes, Israel has been taken into captivity. They have struggled with idolatry to the point that they even offered their own children to Molech in the, in the fires of sacrifice. And yet you open up the New Testament and you notice that that is no longer a problem. Idolatry is not a problem in the Gospels. It's like when they went into captivity, they got that. But instead, now you have almost where the law has almost become an idol. Where, G, where, they, where they, actually, they actually condemn Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath. Greed, which becomes idolatry. Now listen, as you read this list, you can't help but notice the emphasis on the, the sensuality sinfulness. Sensuality itself is not sinful, but lustful sensuality 
is obviously the focus here. You cannot get away from that. And this is one of those passages, you know, as a pastor, when we're going through a book, oh, good, I get to talk today about sexual immorality, okay? Um, and, you know, it, it is one of those topics that, that can be a little sensitive, a little bit delicate, you know, to talk in a group like this, this emphasis on sexual immorality. But look at, Paul wrote this. He addresses it. He addresses it to the, to, the, to the church at Colossae. And he addresses it openly. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons for that is the, if, you, if you know a little bit about the first century, you study a little bit about the first century, you will find that, that lustful sensuality was a huge part of their lives. Openly. There were tremendous amount, amount of, I'm trying not to move very much. Every time I move, something's going on here, right? Am I okay? Are you okay with that? I could switch the handheld mic, but okay. Um, there, there, this, this, this open sensuality that, that even in their religion, even in their religion, the prostitution with priestesses and with priests was part of their religion. I mean, it was part of worship. That's how degrading it was. And open, lustful sensuality, there were, there were, there were many, many members of their society who were very vulnerable to abuse. And it was okay. This is a huge problem in the first century. And the reason Paul addresses this is because he's dealing with Christians who, who especially the, the Gentiles, the pagans, who have come out of this culture. He's dealing with his fellow Jews who, who live in this culture as well. The Apostle Paul and Timothy are human beings. They are not deity. They are men, just like all other men. And Satan will use this to tempt them as well. Did not the Apostle Paul say that I buffet my body in the King James? I buffet my body. I, 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 I'm hard on myself. I dis- why? So after I've preached to others, I, be- I become disqualified. Paul was a man. He understood this. And he deals with this, right? Takes it head on. Because, because this is an issue that these people have to... And it occurred to me as, as um, preparing for this message, uh, just uh, walking through the mall yesterday, walking through the mall yesterday, and reading an article in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was, no, it means the Seattle Times, about a, um, a, a big entertainment show in town that was really directed at our preteen, especially girls. Just walking through the mall, and you realize, you know, my grandchildren see things in store windows that I would never have seen at their age, right? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's like all over the place. It's everywhere. It's, 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 it's mannequins in the, in the store windows. It's every time we open up our computer and turn on our television. It's every time, I mean, we, we, put, we put cell phones in our kids' hands that are, that are mini computers that have more computing power than the Apollo spacecraft. And we put it in their hands with unlimited data and say, here, are we careful? We live in a world, and I think we all understand this, that we live in a world where every one of us 
Every one of us is bombarded with this lustful sensuality all day long. It's the first century again. It's the first century again. Unless we uh, condemn our young people and children and say, how could, they, how could they look at that stuff? How could they do Don't forget. Don't forget who the victims are and who the perpetrators are. Who creates this stuff? Who makes this stuff? Why do they do it? Why do they do it? You know why? Greed, which is idolatry. When people are making seven-figure incomes and greater, producing this stuff, who is the victim and who are the perpetrators? It's the first century all over again, friends. And you'd have to be—you'd have to just put your head in the sand, if you will, to not realize that. And the Apostle Paul directs his head on. And we have to direct this head on. We have to be honest about this. We have to talk about this. We have to put this out there. This is the world we live in. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, believers. And I'm sure Paul would say, I, I'm talking to myself first. He does say that. I, I buffet my body. I beat myself up. I'm hard on my lest when I preach to others, I, I succumb. You know, Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh. That he begged God three times, take it away. What was it? We don't know what it was. Was it a temptation? We assume it was blindness. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. These apostles were human beings, just like us. They had families. They had relatives. They had children in their lives, whether they had their own or others that were in their lives. Paul says, listen, put this to death. Kill it off. Kill it off. And he sums it up with greed, which is idolatry. Let's call it what it is. huh? Let's be honest and call it what it is. Let's be honest in our own lives. Lest we pinpoint someone else's sin and have greed in our heart. But that's not quite so obvious. It's not so easy for you to tell when I'm greedy. It's easy for you to tell when I do other things wrong. But it's not so easy to tell when I'm greedy. But that's the last one which is idolatry. Put these things to death. Kill them off. It's a choice. It's an active choice. It's an imperative. But God provides the means, and we're going to talk about that next week. That's why we want to continue this, and I hope you can be here, or at least listen in on next week. Uh, the next slide. Rid yourselves. Take off. Last time I preached on this some years ago, I, I did the thing with the coats. That some of you, you know, I took off the coats and put them on from different coats in my life. I still got some of those coats in my closet. I just can't get rid of that camel hair coat my mom gave me when I graduated from high school. I am never going to wear that coat again. I just can't get rid of it. Okay? So when I die, my kids will have to get rid of it and, and do something with it. Who wants this coat? I don't want it. You want this Take it off. Kill it. And now he says, take it off. Because in order to put something on, you have to take off the old. Take it off. That's what he means when he says, rid yourselves of these things. Literally in the Greek, it's put it off. Take it off. And here it is. Take off these evil. But before we get there, after we see evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, look at verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And we can't soften that. God is angry with sin. It's, not the, it's not, not the same kind of outburst that we have. It's a, it's a holy anger against sin. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Friends, that's part of the biblical message. It's there. 
Paul wrote it. He was given it by God. We don't dare take it out. You used to walk in these ways, in a life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself, not only of those things, but of these. Now look at, look at this category. I want you to think with me this morning. I wish we were in a smaller group. Like I tell you often, we'd have some discussion here. I want you to look at this next list. You know, the first list really, really is focusing on lustful sensuality and then greed. What is this list focusing on? So let's look at it. First of all, you must rid yourself of all such things as these. First of all, anger. Anger. Are you an angry person? Do people think of you, and they, when they think of you, does it mainly think of you as your, of your anger? Are you an angry person? Boy, we've got a lot of angry people in our culture today, don't we? Um, angry. And then the next one. Rage. And we use the word road rage, but I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. But it's the same, maybe the same thing that comes to mind here. Anger. Rage. These two, obviously, you cannot disconnect them too much, right? Malice. That's evil intent towards someone else. I wish you harm. Why do I wish you harm? Does it make me look better? Does, does, it, does it lift me up because I wish you harm? Am I a selfish person? Am I a greedy person? Malice. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. How we use our mouth and what we say about somebody else. We could maybe put in there gossip. Slander. Uh, you know, talking about our world in the media today. <laughs> I mean, we, we need to pray for our, our youth leaders and our Pastor Kevin and his staff and our young people. I don't know how you survive a social media thing today. <laughs> I, I understand when we hear about young people committing suicide because of because of what, I mean, how do you stop that when it's out there on the social media? And, and I mean, what used to be what used to be gossip, you know, with our friends and stuff, at least you could kind of have some control over it. When it's out there with a click of a button to hundreds, hundreds, thousands of people, you can slander people. You can slander people in ways that was never dreamed imaginable today. And, and listen, friends, we need, to, we need to wake up. We need to be wise about what we're doing with this and how we use it. We need to be able to talk about these things. It's, it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's good. I mean, we, you know, uh, we get information like, from, like we got from the Philippines about our missionary's little baby, Rowan. And we've been able to use the social media to, to share that and, and, to, and to pray for him. We need to pray for him. They had to open up his heart to do this very delicate heart surgery. The next step is, is to close. This is um, Robbie and Tegwin Heath. They were, they're supposed to be here this fall for our missions conference. And they're in the Philippines right now. And uh, she has been and Joyce Anderson's daughter, director of Things to Come Mission, international. And, and they had to open up his heart. And in order, in order to go to the next stage for him to survive, the heart, I mean, his chest has to be closed. And right now it's too swollen. They can't, they can't close it. And they're asking people to pray for a miracle that the swelling will go down so they can close the chest so they can, he can recover. But he, it has to happen. Social media is a, is a wonderful tool to be able to share those instantly around the world, right? But like any sword that's double-edged, 
You can share other things instantly around the world too. Slander. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. Paul says, take it off. And then finally, look at, look at he says, not finally, but filthy language. Filthy language. And, and I know that, you know, I know this is, you know, for me, I, I, I work in an environment where I don't have to hear filthy language all day. I never hear it. I never hear filthy language in my work environment. You know, once in a while, Gary or Kevin might say, oh, darn, you know, or something like that, you know. <laughs> I say, you guys know better than that, you know. <laughs> Susie wouldn't, but Josh, oh, that's another, where's Josh? <laughs> but some of you are subjected to it all day long, aren't you? You listen to it all day long. And it's hard sometimes not to be a part of that. Paul says, don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. And look, I put one more here. That This one kind of really sort of is the transition to the rest of the passage. But he says, do not, verse 9, do not lie to each other. Why? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, you, you have, again, look at, the, look at the verbal tense here. That's an accurate translation. How do you, how do you solve this paradox? The Paul says, You've you've taken it off, so you need to take it off. You have taken off the old man. Well, you know, in the in the in the Bible, and again, we have to go back to Romans, which is which is the seed of so much of Pauline theology that stuff spins off of, where he talks about the fact that that we were in, I was in Adam, like it or not, I, you know, like it or not. Adam's sin has affected me. I was born in sin. I was in the old man. Jesus Christ came to earth. We're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate Good Friday first when our choir is going to share the musical presentation with us and we'll have communion. Because we're going to, we're going to share together and meditate that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for me and for you as a man. Right? As a man but also as God. And because of that, he became the new humanity, the new man. And when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you were incorporated into that new humanity. I am part of the new humanity, the new man, the church, the body of Christ. The church, the body of Christ, the new humanity, Paul calls it in Ephesians. So Paul is right when he says, you have put off the old man. You have put on the new man. That's who you are. He says, do not lie because that's who you are. You have put on, verse 10, the new self. And notice, look at these verbs. I know this is not a language, but look at this. Because this is a good translation. You have put on the new man, which is being, I-N-G, continuous, being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We have put on the new man. I'm already the new humanity. But Paul says at the same time, you are being renewed in the image of this new man. Therefore, continue to put to death, take off, 
And next week we're going to talk about what you put on. One thing to take everything off is to put it back on. That's the difference. It's a replacement theology, if you will. You know, God is good. God doesn't just say, quit doing this, quit doing this. He says, instead do this. Instead do this. We are being created in the image of God. And I'm trying to think, what illustration? The only one I could think of off the top of my head. I am a citizen of the United States of America. November 25th, 1952, I was born at Swedish Hospital, downtown Seattle. And at my birth, because my mother and father were citizens, I was a citizen. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. I was born here. I'm a citizen. That's what I am. But throughout my life, my choices of what type of citizen I have been and will be are my choices to make. I could be a bad citizen. I could break the laws of my country. I could flagrantly break the laws of my country. I could be a, a bad person in my neighborhood, in my community, and not be a very good citizen. You know, we give citizenship awards, or used to anyway, in school, right? Citizenship awards for being the kind of person that is basically kind to other people. I could, I could travel to Israel and Jordan in May like we're going to do, and I could be a very poor representation in my country if I chose to. Or I could choose to be a, a good, I could choose to be a good what I am already. <laughs> I am a citizen. But I could choose to be a good citizen. Not perfect, but I could choose to, to do the right things if I, if I desire and if I'm willing to. And so this, I think this is what Paul is saying. We are citizens of heaven. We are created in the image of God. I'm already, I was created in His image, and now I'm being put on the image of my Savior, Jesus Christ, because I belong to Him. But what are people seeing in me? I'm not talking about you. I mean, it's easy for me to stand in front of you and, and look good. But the other day when I was on the freeway and a person pulled up behind me, and I was going 63 miles an hour, 60, I was already going over the speed limit, right? came up behind me and flashing her lights and stuff. And I tapped my brakes. <laughs> I mean, what? A... <laughs> that was me. Yeah, that was me. Just once. And Teresa said, don't do that. You know, I, I mean, now why do I do that stuff? Why would I do that? And just pull over in the air lane, let them go by. Maybe they'll get a ticket, you know. <laughs> Well, why do I why do I do these things? That's easy, you know. It's easy for me. It's easy on Sunday morning for right now, but during the week, just like you, what are the choices I make? What are the things that I do? What are the thoughts that go through my heart? What are the things that that the lust and the greed and the anger and the rage? You notice this last group. The first group was about lustful sensuality. And we need to be able, we need to be willing we have to be able to talk about this with our young people and ourselves. The next group you'll notice has to do with 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 our feelings really toward other people. This letter is written to the church at Colossae. And is it possible that Paul is really telling these people, look at when you get together, when you serve together, when you worship together, when you learn, when your kids grow up together. When you're in close quarters, as we are in a church family, how do we treat each other? 
Do we let our anger, our gossip, our slander, do we have malice? Do we really want the best for the other person to the point that we're willing to give up what's, what's best for us? Are we willing to do this in our own families first and then in our church family so that as a church family we can be a witness to our community and you can take these qualities and take them to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your school, to the highway, to the store when that person that's that's checking you out is is having a bad day and and instead of getting anxious and mad that you're in a different line just say thank you thank you be kind are we being changed into the image of Jesus Christ take off put on be renewed I I love this quote from Dunn in his commentary on, on on this passage. He says this, Paul and Timothy clearly did not harbor any illusions regarding their converts. They were all too aware of the pressures which shaped people like the Colossian Christians and which still held a destructive attraction for them. They were well aware of it. This was their world. This was their lives. They didn't drop in from somewhere out of space. They grew up in this world. They knew this world. They saw it with their eyes too. They faced temptations and lust too. They faced anger and slam. They, they faced these things too. And they had no illusions that just because these people had become Christians, it was all gone. And friends, we, have, we hold no illusions here. That, that somehow that we, are not, we are not subject to these temptations. And that we do not give in to these temptations. This is the reality of the world. And this is why Paul is so honest in this passage and addresses this so head-on and so straightforward. But I want to just remind you this morning as we close the service. And I, this has really been in my heart as I've, as I've been bringing this series from Colossians. To be reminded, I mean, my temptation when I'm reading Scripture is always to read it to just me. Everything written here is just is for me. Jim, don't do this. Jim, don't do that. But he's writing to the church collective together. And he has called us as a church together to help one another. Right? To help one another. Isn't that what families do? Isn't that what families are supposed to do? To help one. We're here to help one another. We're here to encourage one another. We are here to hold each other accountable. That is a good thing. Can you imagine your life with no accountability? You know yourself. I know myself. Can you imagine not having any accountability to anybody or any law or anything? We can hold each other accountable. We can encourage one another. We can strengthen one another. We can... Not be afraid to talk about difficult things together. And we can be people who embody what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church. And in the Galatian church, the Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. I love this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Went out 
it's the story of the lost sheep, right? It's the story of the lost sheep. Carry each other's burdens. Remember the old poster? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Neil Diamond, right? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, that's all of us, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. And then he says that each of us should carry our own burden. I'm here to help carry your burden, and I'm here to help carry my burden. And you're here to help carry my burden, and you're here to help carry your burden. We are doing this together, friends. And we need to be a family of God where we are willing together to put these things to death and help each other put these things to death. It's not easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't be a problem, right? It's not easy. But Paul says you can do this. Put these things together. Get rid of these things. Remember, you are putting on what you already are, the new humanity. And if you do this together and help each other as a family should, you can show the image of Christ and be conformed more and more to his image. The last slide, let me just close with this. I, each week we talk about these, this is our theme for Colossians. And this morning, our takeaway is we are united in love. We are united in love, friends. And, and, and I, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I'm so thankful for church family. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that my children have a place that, that they knew they were always loved and cared for. That we have a family. And I hope our kids here today, and my grandkids and yours, I hope they always know this is a place that will, this is a place where we will always love them. We will always help each other. We will always hold each other accountable. We will always encourage each other. We will not slander. We will not gossip. We will not let our anger be at the front. And we will put to death together these things that are attacking us and attacking our society and that we will not be greedy people who are only concerned for ourselves, but people who want to show the image of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name. Jesus Christ. Lord bless you for coming today. I remind you, your presence here is a ministry and encouragement to other people. I know for some of you it's hard to get here. And I want to tell you we appreciate it. Are these things possible? I've maybe raised more problems than solutions, but are these things possible to do? Uh, I remember way, way back in the early days of my pastoral ministry, a gentleman from this church. I'm not going to name him because some of you are related to him and some of you know him. And his wife died. And I went over to visit him at his apartment. And oh, his heart was broken. They'd been married for decades. 
And he, he said, you know, I've just, he just started getting so emotional. He said, you know, I just feel so bad for something I did one time. And I thought, I thought wow, this is going to be something. He said, one time I raised my voice at her. <laughs> what? <laughs> one time you raised your voice at her? <laughs> I thought, you know. If I told you it was, you'd know, yeah, that was him. That was him. That's who he was. He let God make him that kind of person. It can be done. It can be done. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we just uh, pause in this quiet moment to tell you that we love you. And we know it, it doesn't sound like much when we think of how you loved us. It doesn't sound like much when we think back of sometimes, even this past week, the kind of people we are when we don't follow your word. But we do love you. We are a thankful people. We are thankful for a place to come where we can freely worship without hindrance. We thank you for a faithful congregation that gives and gives and gives so we can have ministries for our young people and children. We can be involved in their lives. We can have a part in their growth. We can have a part in sharing the gospel, the good news of salvation. And we are a thankful people, Lord. And may our hearts just be filled with thankfulness and love for you and joy in our eternal security in you. That you will never love us any more than you love us today, right now. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. But we can live lives that please you. We give ourselves to you as a family of God today to that end. And ask that you go with us. And in Christ's name, all God's people can say together. Amen. Amen.